bring you the Word of God. So if you have your Bibles open uh, or with you, I want you to open them up, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 12. John, chapter 12. We're going to be looking specifically at verses uh, 12 through uh, 19. And uh, we're going to be looking at the triumphal entry of Jesus on Palm Sunday. So would you pray with me as we begin our time together? Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the day that you have given to us. We thank you that Christ reigns supreme even over technology. And God, I want to ask that you would help our hearts and our minds now to be uh, conformed to you and your image. And that uh, you would... um, that you would be blessed by this time, that you would open hearts, that you would open minds, that you would help us to see Jesus in a new light today, that we would not misunderstand him, but that we would see him in his fullness and that we would receive him for who he is, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that I ask this. Amen. Well, in in December of 1993, my dad and I went to the Mall of America, and there, there was really nothing new or uh, out of the ordinary about this because we, we lived just five minutes away from uh, the Mall of America, and we made frequent trips there. But this, this trip was different. Um, we had walked through this long, empty hallway that went from the movie theaters to uh, this other open area. And when we had got there, we came upon a large group of, of people standing on uh, on each side of, of the aisle with a big space in between it. And there was, uh, there was a buzz that something was going to happen. Something or someone was going to, to show up. The mall was relatively new, and so uh, crazy things were happening there all the time. And uh, as we stood there looking, there was a small entourage and started making their way down the aisle. And as they got closer, the crowd got got louder and it got a little more excited and then we figured out why the terminator arnold schwarzenegger himself was coming down the 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 hallway there with a couple of security guards licking an ice cream cone he was going to the grand opening of a restaurant called planet hollywood in which he was a part owner of along with bruce willis and uh sylvester stallone and obviously there were some people in the crowd that knew what was happening, and uh, they were sort of creating the buzz, and, and it was helping the others that didn't know what was going on there, but could obviously see that something was about to, to happen. Well, in March of AD 33, in the city of Jerusalem, it was filled with people that were coming to celebrate the Passover. And normally, the city of Jerusalem would only have about 50,000 people in the city at a given time. But uh, at this particular Passover week, it would have anywhere from 100,000 to 125,000 or more pilgrims that were flocking to the holy city. Now, this would obviously create uh, some tension. Uh, there, uh, there wasn't enough room to house everybody that was there in Jerusalem at the time. So people would actually camp outside of the city and camp out on the, on the hillside and camp out uh, just in the open area. On top of that, there uh, was always this tension on the part of the city leaders, both civic and religious, because this influx of people always created 
this massive social change. And in this particular year, tensions were, were even higher because there was this guy named Jesus that had shown up on the scene. And for three years, he had made a pretty big name for himself. Uh, he had done some pretty incredible things. He had established a massive following. At one point, he was on the countryside feeding and teaching what scholars to believe uh, to be at upwards up to 10,000 people or possibly even more. He had performed these crazy miracles. He had multiplied food on the fly. He had exercised demons. He had healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He even gave hearing to the deaf. And recently, within the last week or so, he had even raised this guy named Lazarus from the dead after Lazarus had been dead for four days. So it's understandable that people began believing that this Jesus was the Christ, the one who was promised by God to come and right all the wrongs. And Lazarus, he lived in this town uh, called Bethany, which was only about two miles or so from, from Jerusalem. And he and his sisters, Mary and Martha, they threw a feast the day before this in his honor. And when a ton of people had gotten wind of this, John tells us that uh, they came to this feast, not just on the fact of who Jesus was, but they also wanted to see Lazarus whom Jesus had, had raised from the dead. So somehow word had gotten out that Jesus planned to go to Jerusalem the next day. And so the crowd who had been at this feast uh, began this Planet Hollywood-style procession for Jesus and his entourage to come. And many others would end up joining this crowd, much like my dad and I did at the Mall of America, not knowing what was happening. But verse 13 uh, tells us that these people ended up taking palm branches and throwing them on the ground to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. In fact, in the, in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, the people are, are basically wondering, who is this guy on the donkey? And they are being told by the people who had witnessed the resurrection of Lazarus. But this historical event not only tells us something about history, but it also reveals two things about our own hearts that we would miss if we didn't give pause to consider them. The first is that we tend to see Jesus not only as he truly is, but as, as we want him to be. And the second is that because we often misunderstand him, our hearts are more inclined to oppose him. So those are the two things we're going to look at. The first thing that we're going to look at is that we need to understand Jesus' mission. We need to understand Jesus's mission. Now, verses 12 through 14, they, they don't just describe what happened, but it also highlights the way that the crowd really didn't understand what was happening. Look with me in verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
even the king of Israel. So in order to get what is happening here, we need to see what, how this whole story fits into the cultural narrative of what was happening in Jerusalem and all throughout Israel at that time. Around the time of Jesus, there was this heightened uh, political nationalistic fervor in Israel. You see, the times between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there were very bloody times in which uh, there was always this struggle of Israel against foreign rulers that were over them. They had independence for uh, a little while at least, and then they were ended up uh, being taken over by the Romans about 90 years before uh, before Jesus here in, in his time. And so Jewish folks at that time were actively looking for the one who would come and knock the Romans off of their horse and that Israel would be restored to its former glory the way that they believed that it should have been. And so this Jesus shows up and he does these absolutely wild things, these miracles that, uh, that he did, and people are absolutely convinced that this Jesus is the one who is going to get the job done. Well, how do we know that? Verse 13 tells us that they took palm branches. They laid it on the ground before him. Now, palm branches in the time of, of Jesus were a symbol of Jewish nationalistic hopes. In, in fact, when, when the Israelites were in the process of gaining independence and fighting against their oppressors, uh, we have evidence to, to show that the coins that they minted at that time even had palm branches that were inscribed on them. So by laying these palms on the ground, they are symbolically laying their hopes at the feet of this one who they believe is going to bring them victory. Further, notice in verse 13 that the, that the crowd cries out, Hosanna! Which is actually a term that was not uncommon in the Roman world. The term literally means save us now. And when a conquering general would, would come uh, back to town after winning victories in war, the town would leave the, the, the town gates and they would meet the king outside of the city and they would usher him in by crying out, Hosanna, save us now. And so what the Israelites are doing here in Jerusalem is they are crying out that this is political imagery. This is war imagery. And they were now applying it to Jesus. And they go a step further, actually, by citing the praise, the halal from Psalm 118, verses 25 through 26. Where they say, save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. So this leaves us with absolutely no doubt that they see Jesus as this conquering war hero. And Jesus will have none of it. That is, he won't have any of their understanding of his role and his mission. 
Oh, he was in no certain terms proclaiming himself to be a king here. But he is showing himself to be a different kind of king. So in an attempt to calm down this fervor where it seems that this crowd is going to forcefully make him the king that they want him to be, he gets, of all things, a donkey. It fulfills Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, which says, rejoice, o great, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So you, you might ask, how is this meant to water down a political fervor how is this meant to calm them down, even if Jesus is admitting that he is a king that is promised from old? How does this even make any sense? It's because in their understanding, they could never understand a kingly warrior who rides a donkey. Why? Because soldiers don't ride donkeys. They ride war horses. A donkey, he doesn't fit that kind of a king. This is, in their minds, a, a wimpy kind of king of peace. They assumed that Jesus would support their political cause. The imagery that he gives is different. Now, now, you and I are like these people in more ways than we care to admit. We misunderstand Jesus when we see his mission as fulfilling our pet projects, our political causes, our personal achievements. We will very easily, even if subconsciously, use Jesus to justify our policies. We'll say things like, well, you know, Jesus would have voted this way or that. And to vote in any other way would, uh, is to be opposed to Jesus. This is troubling. Because nowhere in the New Testament are we encouraged to create a theocracy. Rather, Jesus tells us that as Christians, we are citizens of a different kingdom. If you remember, during Jesus' trial, we'll see this as we go through Holy Week, uh, Pontius Pilate pulls him aside and he asks Jesus about his kingship. And Jesus responds in, in John chapter 18, verse 36. He says, my kingdom, it's not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom, it, it's not from this world. So you see that Jesus here is not interested in winning your political battles. 
Does he inform us on how we should think and how we should act in public? Who rides on a war horse to come and take over Washington. Rather, he is coming in as the king of, of peace that is wanting to wage war on your heart. A heart that is set against him. In fact, Jesus tells us his purpose in Luke chapter 19, where he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You see, it doesn't have to be just politics. Many of us will use Jesus as well to fight our own personal battles. Some of us will, will manipulate his word in order to get what we want or to make our argument sound stronger. Some of us try to, to manipulate others based on our, on our theological bend. Other, others will use Jesus in order to get personal gain. You see, me and you, we so easily justify our sinfulness based on our allegiance to a Jesus who rides on a war horse, not on a donkey. In a best-case scenario, our enthusiasm merely shows mixed motives. And in a worst-case scenario, we are cheering on a fantasy and engaging in faulty praise. So we need to understand this, that Jesus, we need to understand him for who he truly is and what his mission was all about. Yes, Revelation tells us that there is going to come a day when Jesus is going to come on a war horse and he is going to undo all of this, that he will right every wrong, that he'll set his kingdom in its fullness. But not yet. Now, the kingdom of God is within you, and it's within me, those of us who trust Christ. And our mission is to be His mission, to spread that kingdom into the hearts of our families, our communities, in our world through the spreading of the gospel. So we need to understand Jesus' mission. But second of all, we also need to get on board with Jesus. We need to get on board with Jesus. Look with me in verses 17 through 19. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb, raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that, that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see, you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. <laughs> From the perspective of the religious leaders, this is the worst case scenario. Half of the crowd had witnessed this man who they already are at odds with, raise a person from the dead. And this half that had witnessed that happen is now proselytizing those that had not witnessed it 
and they are coming to believe in its truth because Lazarus is more than likely among them. And the leaders cannot contain this. In epidemiological terms, they can't control, they can't quarantine this virus that is sweeping through Jerusalem. Now, the Pharisees, they they were the religious leaders of uh, the day at that time, and they had already been quite frustrated with Jesus. And they see this event sort of as the straw that broke the camel's back. And in fact, in Jesus' mind, him entering into Jerusalem on the donkey is sort of the point of no return as well. His mission is coming to fruition and a conclusion here very, very soon. And there is no turning back from this. He is now doing what he has been reluctant to do for three years. And that is publicly proclaim his kingship. And the Pharisees have no choice now but to make secret, formal plans to have Jesus murdered. But even in their frustration, their words are used by God to show a number of things that are important for us. Let's look again in verse 19. It says, So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. The word world there is used in the Gospel of John over 60 times. And almost every single time when when that word is used, it is meant to be used in opposition to Jesus. Yet here, the Pharisees are proclaiming and implying that the world is coming to him. Now, the irony of this statement is that this is exactly the point of it all. For the world, for the nations to come to know Jesus. Jesus came to draw all of the sinful, all of the sick, wicked world to himself in order to redeem it. And the irony is further shown here in that the Pharisees were only concerned about a few Judeans following this rabbi. But their words expressed that Jesus was conquering the world. So we need to take note of this because when Jesus, when, when, when it comes to Jesus... There is no middle ground. You can only be on one side or the other. See, you can be like the Pharisees. You can look out and see all the the things that Jesus has done, and you can be cynical about it. But you're just kicking against the goats. You can have this attitude that Jesus was just a great moral teacher. And this forever king business, that's all a bunch of folklore. But if you took the time to look around, you would see evidence of his kingdom 
everywhere that you look. If it wasn't for God working through his people, we would not have the kind of medical systems that we do today. Christians have always been on the forefront of the care of not only people's souls, but also on the care of, of, of people's bodies as well. If you took the time to look around, you'd see that the church has always been on the forefront of racial harmony and justice. It was God's people that have paved the way, paved the way to abolish slavery. It has been through God's grace that Christ's people's, uh, that, that Christ, that because of Christ, people's lives are changing every day. Jesus said to his disciples that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church, and it has been proven time and time again. So you can reject all this as foolhardily, or you can be ambivalent or lackadaisical or even ignorant, but you would be missing out on something extraordinary. This guy in the donkey, his movement is unstoppable. And he has a better way planned for you. He is calling you to get on board with him. And his plan is, to, is that you would realize the pointlessness of resisting him. That apart from him, there is no real hope. That you would see that he loves you deeply in such a way that he lived a sinless life so that his work, his merits, would be transferred to you through faith. He died a horrific death on the cross as a substitute for the punishment of uh, of, that you deserved for your sins against God. And this goes for me too. And he rose from the dead three days later to show his victory over sin and death and to provide for you and for me who trust in him the resurrection that is to come. If you have been resisting that, friends, it's time to come home. The porch lights are on. The door is unlocked. And he is anxiously waiting for you to come home. Surrender your life to him today. You know, I witnessed the people at the Mall of America paving the way for the Terminator himself. And when it comes to Jesus, you and I, we can either get in the way or we can make way for the king to rule in our hearts. Stop fighting and come to Jesus today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you begging for your mercy. We come to you in thankfulness, knowing that even in the light 
of our past, you still love us. You still make us new. You still provide clothes of righteousness by which we are counted as acceptable in your sight. Father, I pray that if there's anyone out there watching today that might be like these Pharisees, that try to shut up and stop this movement of God, Lord, that you would stop them in their tracks and that they would look upon this one who rides on a donkey, who is meek and mild and peaceful and peaceable, who only wants the best for them, and that is to know him in his fullness. So, Father, I pray that whoever is out there today, that their heart would be crying out to you, Lord Jesus, save me. I trust in you. I want that new life that you promised me. Would you do that miracle today, God? And it's in Jesus' name that I ask this. Amen.